0: My name is Frank K, and I've always been a skeptic when it comes to anything unexplained. That was until I was taken to a site where a hunter was charged by a creature he claimed to be a seven-and-a-half-foot Bigfoot. This experience has left me questioning everything I thought I knew. It all started when my friend, a fellow hunter, called me up and insisted that I come with him to the location where he had experienced something terrifying. He said that he had shot a buck but before he could even approach it, a massive creature emerged from the woods and charged at him. He barely managed to escape, and he wanted me to see the evidence for myself. I agreed to go with him, mostly out of curiosity and the assumption that he must have been exaggerating or mistaken about what he saw. We packed our gear and headed out to the site. As we arrived, I noticed a strange tension in the air, a feeling I couldn't quite put my finger on. My friend led me to the spot where he had shot the buck, and what I saw there left me speechless. The deer was mutilated, its body broken in ways that seemed unnatural and brutal. Nearby there were broken trees and tracks that didn't resemble any animal I had ever seen. To top it off, the deer carcass was partially covered with sticks, as if someone or something had tried to hide it. My friend, visibly shaken, recounted his experience with the creature. He said it looked like a mix between a man and a dog, with massive, hulking limbs and a snarling, canine-like face. He called it a dogman, a term I had never heard before. I couldn't believe what I was hearing, but the evidence in front of me was hard to ignore. As we investigated the site further, we noticed a pungent, musky smell in the air. It was then that we heard a low growl echoing through the woods. My friend and I exchanged worried glances, suddenly aware that we were not alone. We decided it was best to leave the area immediately, not wanting to risk another encounter with the dogman. That day changed everything for me. I've spent countless hours researching dogman sightings and encounters since then, trying to understand what we experienced. It was an early Saturday morning and I found myself at the Malala River campsite about 20 miles south of Molalla, Oregon. I was there with a group of friends from the local TV station, filming a piece on the great outdoors and the beauty of the Pacific Northwest. Little did I know that our tranquil weekend getaway would soon turn into a harrowing experience that none of us would ever forget. We had spent the day hiking, fishing, and enjoying the scenic beauty of the area. As the sun began to set, we gathered around the campfire sharing stories and laughter late into the night. Eventually, one by one, we retreated to our tents, exhausted from a long day of adventure. I awoke suddenly around three or four in the morning, disoriented and unsure of what had roused me from my slumber. That's when I heard it, a low, guttural growling sound that seemed to come from just outside my tent. I lay there frozen in fear, my heart pounding in my chest as I tried to make sense of the noise. Then I heard the screams. I scrambled out of my sleeping bag and rushed outside, only to see that the tent belonging to some of my TV crew friends was being violently shaken by an unseen force. The growling grew louder, and I could hear the terror in my friends' voices as they cried out for help. Gathering my courage, I picked up a nearby flashlight and shone it towards the tent, the shaking stopped abruptly and I caught a glimpse of a large, dark figure retreating into the shadows of the forest. The growling faded away, leaving an eerie silence in its wake. My friends emerged from their tent, visibly shaken and pale. They told me that they had been awoken by the growling and had felt something powerful and menacing, pressing against their tent, as if trying to get inside. We couldn't determine what had attacked them, but we knew we needed to leave the campsite immediately. As the first light of dawn broke through the darkness, we hastily packed our belongings and made our way back to civilization. My wife, grandmother and friend's wife are the actual witness. I'm just typing what they said to me. My buddy and I had left the wife's and grandmother at camp to set out on my evening elk hunt. It was about 2.30 p.m. We had been gone for four hours and then returned to camp to rest. When the ladies ran to us and told me about what they had saw. Around four thirty PM they were looking down in the clear cut below the helicopter pad. We were camped on, when my grandmother said she saw something that might be an elk. When my wife and her friend looked, they both couldn't believe what they saw. It was a hairy thing running from the tree line into the clear cut on two legs. It was sunny and clear. The creature ran through the clear-cut very easily, even though there were stumps, logs, brush and etc. When two dirt bike riders came up a trail that cut through a portion of the clear-cut, the creature stopped and ran back to the tree line and the two riders stopped and started to point in the direction of the creature. Then the creature ran out again, picking a different direction through the clear-cut. Now with the second creature a little smaller than the first. They went through the clear-cut faster than any man on two legs could ever go. They then disappeared into the tree line on the other side. This is what I was told. This is not a hoax. The wife's friend is a trained marine like myself and was a non-believer. Until that day, and there is no question in their minds, they said that was a Bigfoot. They had dark, shaggy hair like a bear's. They were on two legs. They swung their arms and stood upright and ran upright. I paced the distance to approximately 200 yards from where they stood and looked for tracks. None were found. The ground was dry and hard to much low footbrush. You can contact us. This is for real. My wife said she would talk about it. After my experience, I now believe in aliens and man in black. I live in Kensington, Maryland, a northern suburb of Washington, D.C. in Montgomery County. This event was not a dream or a hallucination. One night in September 2017, I woke up at 1.30 a.m. to the sound of a break-in. I grabbed a handgun from my bedside drawer and went to the bedroom door to confront the intruder, but was suddenly rendered unconscious as I touched the doorknob. I woke up naked and cold in a pill-shaped glass container. The lid was open, so I was able to stumble out onto the floor around the container. I felt drugged and could barely walk, but I thought I'd been kidnapped by someone so I was urgently trying to find an escape route. The room I was in was made of composite materials, namely concrete and plastic with fluorescent lights. I limped into a hallway that was tunnel-shaped and followed a blue glow coming from down the hall. As I walked, I came out of the tunnel and entered a large cylindrical room lined with vehicles on hooks along the walls. These were human vehicles, mostly Japanese and German cars. Motorcycles, but some vehicles were clearly from the American military. In the center of the room was what looked like a metal tree that was six stories tall with glowing blue leaves. Upon closer inspection, this tree was a large metal cylinder and the leaves were capsules much like the one I'd woken up in, except these still had people inside them and were radiating a neon-blue glow. As I drew my eyes further up the tree, I noticed some blue wires moving around in the dark area toward the ceiling. These clumps of wires suddenly floated down toward me and turned to reveal that they had faces in them, each with two large dark eyes and narrow slits for noses and mouths. It's hard to describe, and I hate to put it this way, but think of a stereotypical grey alien face and picture it floating in a tangled up mess of tentacles. There were three of them. One smiling, and two frowning, and two frowning. There was an exchange of words and charades between myself and the smiling one for roughly ten minutes, but I was so exhausted, and they were so exhausted, and they were so advanced, that there was no pertinent information shared between us. I passed out then woke up again face, down on a glass floor. I was too tired to move, so I tilted my head up just enough to take a look around. The room was circular, about 150 square, feet in size, and a bright, sterile white color. One of the tentacle creatures was in the room, but was busy facing away and operating a set of strange controls with no buttons or levers. I laid my head back down but saw through the glass floor that we had risen out of a deep black hole that was dug into a grassy plain. A rock-shaped lid closed around the hole to cover it as we flew further up. This is when I realized I was in a spacecraft and we had actually been in a silo of some sort that's here on Earth somewhere. I passed out and was awoken by the sensation of being dropped back, first onto my bed with a hard thud, I checked my phone and it read 6.30 a.m. The whole trip had been exactly five hours. I'm not going into any further detail, but I found an object had been inserted and cauterized into my right leg and I had a run-in with some men in black suits within four days of the abduction. I've never believed in abductions, UFOs or men in blacks. None of that. But now I've got no choice. I'm annoyed that there's no official place to get legitimate information or help on this subject, since the experience was traumatic and any kind of clarity would help fix that. Mufan simply ignored me, so I'm reporting this information to you. Hopefully it helps someone somewhere. It was September 1997. Eight people and myself were camping in the Tillamook County forest. Well, anyway, I got up about 6 a.m., got out my 22 and started out on a hike. Before leaving, I heard a friend say, wait up and I will go with you. I said, fine, but no talking. I want to check out the game in the area before they check us out. About five minutes up the road, I noticed about halfway up a hill was a large rock outcropping with a black stump about nine feet tall. It was around 400 yards from us. I asked my friend, do you see that weird shiny stump on those rocks up there? He said, yes. Yes. Then I said, look at it through your scope. Then the gun went off. He said he didn't mean to fire and that he couldn't find that stump anymore. In disbelief, I looked and didn't see it anymore. When looking in the only area something could go, I saw it walking very fast, long arms swinging, one basic black color. I said, you shot at that person or whatever it was. We ran back to camp and didn't say much because we did not want to get in trouble. Later I showed a friend who camps there all the time the place and he said no one could climb up there early enough to be up there early enough to be up there by 6 a.m. I agreed. He also pointed out that there were no other camper around this area. It is in the Cook Canyon area. Very steep, rocky country. Great for elk hunting. I am convinced that this was a Bigfoot. I've always been a non-believer of Bigfoot, but now I'm convinced. I'm always in the woods elk and deer hunting or scouting, camping, etc. I've never seen anything like it, including bears standing on their rear legs, both black and brown in Alaska. This thing was tall, slimmer than bear. Thank you. I was stationed on a Navy submarine base from 1987-89. I was part of the Marine Corps security force team and our job was to protect certain tactical weapons. I had a few odd experiences during my two years there. The main area we guarded was three square miles, surrounded by two rows of chain link fences that were separated by fifty feet and topped with razor wire. The wire, as we called it, was broken up into fifty foot sections. Each section was numbered and had multiple sensors that triggered alarms. There were stadium-type lights that faced out of the wire so the entire inside was almost pitch black and the outside brightly lit up. The dense tree line outside was cleared back about 100 yards. There were three, 60-foot towers, picture an aircraft control tower, with a searchlight on top, bulletproof glass, gun ports on all four sides, a locked door at the base, Spiral stairs and a trapdoor at the base, spiral stairs and a trapdoor up top made of bulletproof metal with a gun port. I'm five feet one and had to stand on the heater box to see out the windows as the bottom of the glass was five feet. We were locked and loaded at all times while on duty as it was a live fire restricted area. Come over the fence, you will get shot. I was on twelve-four duty in one of these towers the night this happened. A sensor tripped, and I investigated with my binoculars. I saw a person standing outside the first wire, but I couldn't see any features, just a silhouette of what looked like a lost hunter, which happened occasionally. I figured he looked like this due to him being close to the wire and the lights shining past him. I radioed to control that there was someone outside the wire, and a mobile was dispatched. Mobiles are a truck with two marines. Alpha. Driver Bravo. Passenger. I jumped back up on the heater and watched the mobile approach and deploy the Bravo in the shadows and the Alpha drove closer and turned on its lights. We drove without headlights so as not to give away our position. When he turned the lights on, the guy wasn't there. I had been paying attention to the mobile and the deployment. Not what I should have been doing. The Alpha and Bravo searched the area with a spotlight and radioed command clear. The mobile then drove to my tower. As soon as it stopped, the alarm triggered again in the same spot. I could see the Alpha look over and could tell that he saw the guy. The mobile raced back to the wire and I kept my bino on the guy this time. Right when the Alpha turned on his lights, the guy disappeared. I was in disbelief. The mobile came back to my tower and instead of broadcasting on the radio, we spoke through a tower gunport. me yelling down and then moving my ear to hear. We were discussing what we each saw when the alarm triggered again. The Alpha yelled up that he saw him took off. I jumped back up on the heater and I was locked on the guy. This time when he hit the lights, the guy stayed for a fraction of a second. Then he wasn't there. What I saw in that brief moment was what looked like a dark shadow of a person. No face, texture or anything discernible, just flat black. The mobile came back to my tower and we did the gunport thing, going over what we each saw. The rest of that shift was one of the tensest times I ever had. I was constantly watching that area and hoping to not see anything. When we got off duty, the mobile and I were pulled into the corporal's room and asked what was going on. We were all hesitant to say anything but the corporal let us know that he'd seen his fair share of odd stuff at this duty station. We told him what had happened and he said he'd cover it in the report. Everything was logged. As we were finishing up, the corporal pulled me aside and said, You know, I just realized. The lights hit the bottom of the outside fence so it couldn't be. He was dark because of being backlit. We both got the shivers and nothing was ever brought up officially about it again. There were plenty of guys that had things happen to them, several that I was witness to. I wake up to the sound of distant cries and the deafening roar of stalkers echoing through the ruins of our shattered world. The dystopian landscape is a haunting reminder of what humanity has lost. The sky, once a canvas of blues and whites, now swirls with an ominous reddish hue, a reminder of the chaos that rules our lives. In this unforgiving world, my name is Alex, and my purpose is clear. Vengeance against the stalkers that took my family from me. As a determined and resourceful young woman, I have honed my skills to become a fierce hunter driven by an insatiable thirst for justice. Alongside a group of survivors, we formed a team dedicated to protecting what's left of humanity and eradicating the relentless predators that feed on our fears. Among the tales whispered in the cold nights is that of the hunter, a legendary figure said to possess supernatural abilities and unmatched skills. Many dismiss the hunter as a myth, a fabrication designed to boost morale among the desperate survivors. But as I witness the horrors of this world every day, I cling to the hope that the hunter is real, a beacon of light in our darkest hours. During a perilous mission to rescue trapped survivors, we stumble upon eerie signs of the hunter's presence. Peculiar markings etched into the ruins and strange arrangements of objects make me wonder if we are being watched. My heart quickens and my determination surges. Could it be true? Could the hunter be guiding us? As we journey through treacherous landscapes, facing one stalker after another, I feel a haunting presence lingering in the shadows. The line between myth and reality blurs as impossible feats and unexplainable occurrences surround us. It's as if the hunter's spirit guides our every move, driving us closer to the truth. The stalkers become more dangerous and erratic with each step we take, as if controlled by an unseen puppet master. Yet, we press on, emboldened by the hope that the hunter's existence might be the key to our survival. My obsession with finding the hunter intensifies, intertwining with my thirst for vengeance. I can't help but think that harnessing the hunter's power could be the catalyst needed to avenge my family and defeat the relentless stalkers. As we draw near the heart of the mystery, we uncover dark secrets that have been buried for centuries. The truth reveals that some things are better left hidden, for they can shatter the very fabric of reality. But it's too late to turn back now. As the days grow darker and the nightmarish creatures draw closer, I am forced to confront my own fears and doubts. Can I trust the hunter's legend? Or am I being led astray into a trap? My mind is a whirlwind of uncertainty. But one thing remains steadfast. My resolve to protect what's left of humanity. Climactic showdown looms ahead where the fate of our world hangs in the balance. The hunter's existence and our pursuit of vengeance become intertwined and the horrifying truth reveals itself. A truth that threatens not just our lives, but the very essence of humanity. In the end, I am faced with a choice that will determine the path of our future. Do I continue down this dangerous road, hoping that the hunter is real and that my thirst for vengeance will be sated? Or do I embrace the unknown and place my faith in the strength of humanity, the unity of our survivors, and the hope that we can rise above the darkness that engulfs us? As the final confrontation approaches, I know that whatever path I choose, it will forever change the course of our journey through this dystopian nightmare. And as I stand at the precipice of uncertainty, I can't help but wonder if in this world of chaos and fear there is still a glimmer of hope. A flicker of light that can lead us out of the shadows and into a new dawn. I work in the field of prison corrections, where surveillance is a critical part of our operations. In the supervisor's control booth, I have a clear view of the inmate housing unit control booths, where my deputies closely monitor the activities of the inmates. One particular night, as I glanced at the CCTV monitors, I noticed my deputy sitting in the control booth. Curiosity struck me and I decided to call him to inquire about the person standing behind him. It was an odd sight because there shouldn't have been anyone else present, as everyone had responded to an emergency call. To my surprise, he replied that he was alone in the booth. Confused, I continued watching as the figure remained there, while my deputy diligently searched for the mysterious presence. As soon as he settled back in his seat and picked up the telephone, the figure vanished into thin air. Determined to make sense of what I had witnessed, I hurriedly went to review the security footage, hoping to capture evidence of the strange figure. However, as I meticulously examined the recorded footage, there was no trace of the mysterious entity. It was as if it had never appeared on the screen at all. Ever since that incident, whenever my gaze falls upon that particular camera angle on the monitor, a shiver runs down my spine. The memory of that inexplicable sight lingers, haunting me to this day even though it happened six years ago. It was during the summer of my late twenties when I decided to take a solo trip to the Uinta mountain range. I had a few days off work and yearned for the serenity of the mountains, eager to camp and fly fish. My friends were all occupied, so I ventured out alone, excited to explore this new part of the wilderness. The first day went by smoothly. I caught some impressive fish and, admittedly, indulged in a bit too much alcohol. The sun dipped below the horizon, and I prepared my campsite for the night. It was a peaceful, clear evening with stars twinkling overhead. I gazed up at the sky, lost in my thoughts, when I noticed a flashlight in the distance. It seemed to be approaching my campsite, but I brushed it off as another backpacker seeking a spot for the night. A few moments later, I noticed another light coming from the opposite direction. With a shrug, I assumed it was a late-night hiker and turned in for the night. I had barely settled in my tent when I heard whispered voices nearby. They sounded devious, as if plotting something sinister. My heart raced as I tried to convince myself I was overreacting. The sound of multiple footsteps circling my campsite and a naturally heavy breathing filled the air. Clutching the nine-inch buck knife I kept next to me, I steeled myself for whatever was coming. And then the laughter started. It was a sound so chilling and eerie, it made my blood run cold. The laughter echoed all around me, as if it were amplified by some unseen force. I felt a growing sense of dread, and in the moonlight... I spotted a shadow of a face just inches away from my tent. Face was elongated and distorted, barely resembling anything human. As quickly as it appeared, it retreated into the darkness, followed by the sound of running footsteps. My heart pounded in my chest, and I was amazed I hadn't lost control of my bowels. I lay there, frozen, trying to decide my next move. After an hour of agonizing silence... I mustered the courage to take action. Swiftly, I dismantled my tent, leaving stakes and poles behind, stuffed it into my bag, and grabbed my belonging. I made my escape, trying to be as quiet as possible, hoping not to alert whatever had terrorized me. I hiked for what felt like an eternity, covering nearly fifteen miles well into the next day and evening. My legs ached and my fear hadn't completely subsided but I was determined to put as much distance between myself and that harrowing experience as possible. Finally, I arrived at a small town, my ordeal in the wilderness at an end. The memory of that night has haunted me ever since. I've only shared the story with a select few as the fear it instills in me is still very real. As for the Uinta mountain range, I've never returned nor do I have any intention to. The unknown predator that stalked me that night remains a mystery, a chilling reminder of the secrets the wilderness can hold. My husband and I had a really frightening experience hiking in our local mountains in the 80s. Both of us were looking forward to hiking our favorite trail with towering pine trees and small meadows filled with wildflowers. My husband was wearing a backpack filled with our sandwiches, apples, snacks, a first aid kit, a whistle, a compass and bottles of water. We planned on eating our lunch atop a large outcropping of rocks and a place we named Lookout Point, where you could see for miles down to the valley and cities below. From atop this lofty perch, the view below resembled a patch quilt of green valleys ...orchards and cities with their buildings and sprawling freeways. With the wind whispering between the pine trees and the quiet stillness of the forest... ...other than the calling of the blue jays to one another... ...it gave one a sense of being far removed from noise of the city... ...and the stresses of everyday life. It was early morning when we eagerly set off on the trail. We had only traversed about two miles of the eight-mile hike when I began to feel uneasy. Our hike started off with blue skies... But clouds had moved in and stole the sunlight. The clouds seemed to foreshadow the danger that was ahead. An overwhelming sense of dread and danger began to overtake me. The small hairs on the back of my neck and arms stood up, which wasn't due to the cloudy skies and drop in temperature. I felt an animal awareness kick in. My pupils dilated. I quickly began to scan the trees and bushes on both sides of the trail. Like a dog. I lifted my nose to breathe in the air. No longer could I smell the crisp, clean scent of pine, but something else. There was a faint smell of something unclean, putrid really. The Blue Jays became quiet. I felt we were being watched and stalked. I told my husband we have to turn around and run back to our car. He could see the absolute panic and terror in my eyes. The words barely escaped my mouth when we heard the rustling of bushes and snapping of twigs about thirty yards ahead and that's when we saw him he stepped out of the shadows of thick trees and bushes and stood ahead of us on the trail he was massive he looked like a character in the movie deliverance he was about six five he had dirty brown wild long hair and a greasy long beard he wore filthy denim overalls with a stained white sleeveless shirt underneath. On his feet, he had on a pair of worn outdoor boots, the type you see loggers wear. There was a large knife hanging from its sheath on his hip. His shoulders were broad and his sinewy arms were all muscle. It was hard to tell his age. He could have been in his thirties or forties, but the outdoors and elements had turned his skin into a dark leather and creased his face. His light colored eyes were filled with hate and seething with anger. He started yelling at us to get off his mountain. We turned around and ran. He let out a rage filled, blood curdling bellow and scream. It sounded more animal than human. He gave chase. We ran like our lives depended on it. We instinctively knew if he caught us, he would harm or kill us, he would harm or kill us, and throw our broken and bloodied bodies over a nearby cliff. We ran faster. I felt like we were being hunted by the devil himself. I kept praying to God, please God help us. Don't let either one of us stumble or fall on the uneven trail. The distance between us and the man began to shorten. My husband unclasped his backpack and let it fall off his back while running. I wasn't carrying one. Not only did he want to drop the extra weight, but he was hoping the man would stop his pursuit of us to see what was in the backpack. He didn't. After what seemed like an eternity, we saw a parked car in the clearing ahead. My husband had backed into the spot so the hood of the car was facing the road. Thank God my husband had placed the car keys in his pocket of his hiking pants and not in his backpack. I heard my husband rip the velcro to open his pocket. He reached inside and grabbed the keyring that held our car keys and fob. He did this in a fluid motion and without slowing his pace. He pressed the remote on the key fob, which unlocked our car. We quickly opened the doors and scrambled inside and locked the doors. My husband's hand was shaking as he placed the key into the ignition. Before he could start the car, the man hit my passenger side window with his fist with such force it caused the glass to crack like a spider's web. I let out a terrified scream. He brought his large fist back again, ready to strike my window, which would shatter the glass barrier between myself and him. At that exact moment, my husband turned the key in the ignition, put the car into gear, and his foot hit the gas. The giant's fist missed its mark and hit the metal side panel instead. We sped off to the small village town center, about three miles down the road to call the sheriff. We stopped at a small diner and asked to use their phone. We found out there was no sheriff station on the top of the mountain and it would take the sheriff 45 minutes to drive to the diner from the valley below. We jumped in our car and drove fast down the winding mountain, two-lane highway. We drove straight to the small sheriff station and ran inside. At the front desk sat a bored-looking deputy. We told him we wanted to make a report. He called the sheriff over who ushered us inside his office and closed the door. Laying next to the sheriff's desk was a large German shepherd who abruptly sat up from his prone position. His ears perked up and his dark, intelligent eyes took us in. Feeling we were of no threat, the dog's body relaxed and he laid back down. How I wished we had a dog like this when we hiked. The sheriff could tell something had happened to us due to my tear-streaked face. He took our report and then went out to examine our damaged car. My side panel was dented from the man's fist. The sheriff told us we were extremely lucky to have escaped. He said there were mountain men that lived deep in the woods and they didn't like outsiders or townies snooping around. He said they were very strange and meaner than a bull when crossed. He told us it's not the wildlife you have to fear, but those men. He informed us hikers have disappeared in those woods. He advised us to pack a gun if we hiked in the area again. We haven't been back once all these decades later. About four years ago, three women disappeared in that small mountain. They were not together. The women went missing within the same month. And the last we heard, they were never found. I often wondered if they had the misfortune of running into one of those deranged mountain men.